The older I get, the more I realize there are just some things I don't know. Balancing a budget, for example. I'm not a financial whiz. Sure, I know batting averages, passing and rushing yards, three-point shooting percentage. But intentionally putting away money for retirement? That's where my friends at NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast come in. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the financial world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning my tax bills so I don't dread April every single year. Actually, I was one of the first in line this time around. Saving on travel so that I can take my girls on trips. Because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. So enjoy the things you love, the Ole Miss Rebels, your family, your friends, knowing that your financial situation is taken care of with advice that you followed from NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app today. Trust me, future you will thank you. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. You're tuned into an all-new edition of Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett, Brian Scott Rippey coming up here in a minute. Today's guest on the Modern Woman phone line. It's almost hitting Coach Mike Clement. Before we get to it, let me tell you about my bookie. Winning season returns at my bookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means insane props, epic bonuses, and the craziest cross-sport wagers. At my bookie, winning season means watching live sports and betting live sports all season long. Rejoice! The NFL has returned. That means action-packed Sundays and huge cash prizes. Get in on the action, use promo code TOC, Talk of Champions, TOC, and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play, designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Bet with the best this NFL season for your chance to win big. Use promo code TOC, TOC, and double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at MyBookie. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit. Ben on Twitter. He's Brian Scott Rippey at BS Rippey. If you haven't already, subscribed, written, view, talk of champions and iTunes. And when you do, leave a five-star review. doesn't matter what you say, what you write, as long as it's five stars. Also available in SoundCloud and Spotify. Just simply search Talk of Champions. We both write for the Ole Miss Spirit. OmSpirit.com and affiliate of 247 Sports. Today's guest on Talk of Champions might as well be guest co-host. How often he's on this podcast. But Ole Miss Baseball opens fall ball on Friday. So, Mike Clement. Ole Miss hitting coach. He's going to join us on the Modern Women phone line. Rip, what's up, man? Not a whole lot. Clem's a good god. I'll tell you what, though. Complete non sequitur. I watched this thing last night, and I really have like I really get scared 
like genuinely frightened by larger societal things. But have you seen the Social Dilemma documentary on Netflix? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Okay, go watch it immediately, dude. I watched this last night, and like I know I make a lot of dumb jokes and exaggerate on this podcast. Sometimes I have never been genuinely frightened by something uh, in a long, long time that I can remember. It's basically a bunch of ex-Silicon Valley people that worked at Google, Facebook, Twitter, and all that uh, did a documentary about how this stuff is basically just destroying society and like has the power to destroy civilization at like the click of a button, essentially. Um, and no one's regulating it. I mean, it is absolutely frightening. Like they were pointing out examples how social media has caused like s- literal civil wars in other countries, and just there's no regulating it, and we're all just losing our minds because we're slaves to social media and technology. We all kind of knew that. See, I miss the days. I've thought about going back to a flip phone. Some of you will probably be rolling your eyes. It's true. I've thought about going back to a flip phone because I looked at the average time. Because you can do that. You click battery and it shows you how long you've been on your phone, screen on time, screen off. And it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. I don't need to be connected to everything. I miss the days where you used to be able to find out about news because your friend goes, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? No. I miss the days of blissful ignorance. I miss the days of blissful ignorance in government, doomsday stuff like watching. Like you can watch a documentary like that that tells you all the stuff that we kind of knew behind the scenes of everything that we do that could end civilization, but I don't want to know it. I like coasting through life, blissfully ignorant. Kind of impossible to do it's, when your entire life is on the internet now. Yeah, it's it's not even the like, hey, here's how much power they have. It's here's how ridiculously addicted you are, and here's yeah. how how much information they have and how every other sector of society, like, you know, illegal drugs, any other market or regu- like has had has been incredibly regulated but this essentially just has not i mean it's frightening i i I, it makes you want to delete all social media immediately it was it was jarring i i hope they fix it because we're headed towards uh towards disaster if not anyway happy uh, happy thursday i got off of facebook three years ago and i have not looked back it was great i've gotten close many times to getting off of twitter i used to think that it was so important to have twitter that it meant something to what we do that's just not true. And uh, I'm getting closer and closer to just saying screw it and deleting the thing and not worrying about it no more. Because why do you need it? Instagram Instagram is the worst possible thing for somebody that's dealing with any kind of mental health issues. If you got that, and trust me, I'm one of you, don't look at Instagram. So yeah, social media is it's the scourge. I mean, look, it's given amplified voices to people who have no business screaming out their opinions. It's made you hate your old uncle. It's not just politics. Laying out all the grievances he has with your aunt. You know what I'm talking about. Got a guy I went to high school with. He was a great basketball player for our basketball team. During the playoffs, the NBA playoffs, he posts on Facebook, because my brother sent me the screenshot again. I'm not on Facebook. And I get a screenshot from this guy who says, Attention, LeBron James, contact me so I can help you work on your footwork. And if anybody out there wants to question my credentials, I've got receipts or something like that. The greatest basketball player, or one of, I don't want to have the whole Michael Jordan argument, the greatest or one of the greatest basketball players of all time, yeah, he needs your tips on his footwork. Random high school basketball star who's doing nothing anymore but hanging out on Facebook, living in New York. Yeah, he needs your advice. 
as he prepares for the Nuggets for the Western Conference Finals? I mean, between that and your drunk uncle sticking it to Pelosi online, you got to love Facebook. (laughs) Oh, man. Off to just an absolutely blazing start here on Talk of Champions. What have we learned this week in Ole Miss football? I don't think we've learned much. I learned something the other day. What is it? Apparently, like two weeks ago, Jeff Levy met with John Rice Plumley and Matt Corral and said to the guys, look, we're getting really close to Florida here. From this point forward, Matt's going to take uh, the majority of the first team reps at quarterback. We haven't announced anything officially. The quarterback competition is still on. But in so many words, Matt's the guy. He's starting against Florida. And um, all of these conversations we've had about the quarterback battle for the last two weeks, kind of for nothing, Matt Corral's the quarterback. What that means for John Rice Plumley moving forward, I have absolutely no idea. The great mystery is not a mystery. I don't think it's been a mystery for quite some time. Yeah, well, the, so the interesting angle in all that is kind of what you just underscored there, in my opinion, is, you know, we, we talked about this stuff all offseason, and it felt like even throughout camp, as we got through the early stages of camp, you and I talked about it on this show, kind of ad nauseum about the pluses and minuses, and like you said, we don't need to rehash all that. But I guess the most surprising element to come out of all of this now that you sit here on September 17th or whatever the date is, is the fact that was it really a battle? And I don't mean to like shortchange Plumley in that aspect, but you're talking from the first week on you had Kiffin kind of tip, not tip his hand, but give you a little like sample of what kind of the thinking was after the first scrimmage. And it just seems like the separation continued to grow after that. I mean, is it like a horse race where the the thoroughbred or whatever just smokes everyone out of the gates? Like, do you see what I'm getting at? It just didn't feel like much of a competition or a battle. And I don't necessarily mean that to be like derogatory towards Plumley and how he performed in camp. It just seems like with everything and as soon as everything happened, there may have been a little bit of a preconceived notion heading into it. Thoughts? Huh. You see what I'm saying? Like, it happened so quickly. Yeah. I think once Lane Kiffin saw Matt Corral throw and then saw how John Rice threw and saw the disparity in arm talent between them, he knew. He knew. And at worst, he can just pivot to John Rice if he needs to. But I think for what he wants to do offensively, Matt Corral fits better. I'm just intrigued by what John Rice does. What does he do? I don't think there's any greater storyline to follow this season, because this season, for all intents and purposes, doesn't really matter. It's a mulligan for pretty much everybody across college football. What does John Rice do? Does he decide to go play slot receiver? Does he decide to go play safety? What does he decide to do? Does he decide to sit out and then go transfer at the end of the year? Does he decide, I'm playing baseball and football? I want to know what they do with John Rice. Now, I've heard some rumblings that he's practiced or repped at some different positions. But to be honest with you, that sourcing isn't great. I'm like the other stuff, so I don't know how much I believe it. Maybe it's true. Maybe against Florida, because again, we had not been out of practice. We don't know for sure. Who's to say they don't come out against Florida? And they spread it out. Matt Corral, Jerrion Ely, Elijah Moore in the slot. John Rice in the slot, Dontario Drummond, and Jonathan Mingo outside. Who's to say that doesn't happen? We don't know. And then they motion John Rice in, hand him the ball off, and boom, he's off for a 12-yarder. We don't know. 
It'd be fun. The John Rice storyline is going to be the one to follow all year. That's my thoughts on it, at least. I'll pose a question for you. Given how this played out now, and I understand hindsight's twenty twenty, but if we were in normal circumstances and there was no global pandemic and the baseball season played out until June or whatever, you know, um, would there have been even a competition going into the summer? Because you just kind of said it earlier. I think once they saw Matt Corral in the arm town on the field, they kind of knew. So what would have happened if Plumley had been away at baseball and Corral's doing that in spring? It doesn't sound like there would have been much of a competition at all. What do you think? No. I think Matt Corral would have been the guy. John Rice would have come back and seen it. I think it would have clarified things to the point where John Rice would either have left after baseball was over and gone and transferred out if he wanted to be a quarterback somewhere else, or he'd have made the decision to move somewhere else to a different position. What did you think, by the way, of the Big Ten reversing course and now football will resume the weekend of October 24th? I'm surprised. I, I, I was not expecting you to bring up this topic, and I'm going to go in a different direction. One, happy for all of the Big Ten kids and all of that that had their season kind of taken out of their hands. I get it. Tough decision making. Like, you know, it's really Kevin Warren is kind of in a thankless position other than his pay stubs. But I'm happy on that aspect. But man, no, this whole thing has exposed just how lazy and how condescending and I'll be frank, stupid. Uh, our profession is, or I should say maybe your profession, mine halfway now. I, I mean, I saw a column from Christine Brennan at USA Today that called this the darkest day in Big Ten history. Did you see this? Wait, 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 wait. What? She wrote a column that called today the Big Ten's decision to reverse course on football the darkest day in the history Time of out. the Jerry Sandusky Big Ten. Oh, she acknowledged Jerry Sandusky. No, 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 no. She bypassed all of that to call this the darkest day. But she acknowledged that that Jerry. happened. That that happened. She acknowledged um, that. After she got absolutely raked up, I didn't read the column. I'm not giving Gannett the sensational click like Dan Walken style. But once she, she got roasted over the coals for her idiotic tweet about it, she sent another tweet linking the column again, acknowledging that Sandusky... Well, that you was also do very that. bad, too, you which is very brave that. of her. You can't do that. You and I have talked about this at length. I've talked about this with people who differ greatly from me in how they treat COVID-19. I err on the side of caution. I'm someone that wears a mask. I believe uh, that we should listen to the scientists. I'm all that. I'm a safety guy. I don't bring that into the discussion for any other reason to say that that's ridiculous that she would call today, as we're recording this, the darkest day. That's absurd. And I would then be the target audience for that because I'm sympathetic towards, let's be careful because so many people have lost their lives in this. And yet, I'm telling you, that's absurd. And the fact that you come back later and add a tweet and acknowledge Jerry Sandusky, that's not how it works. That's my problem with the Dan Wilkins of the world. This person who I don't know, you've got to clarify in copy. The damage has been done. It's out there. You Google it. It's out there. No one's going to acknowledge it on Twitter. Twitter is a very small echo chamber. It's a very small 
audience. You think it's big, but I've seen the numbers. Facebook, that's different. The reach is astronomical. Twitter, the reach isn't all that great. But you see like 100 likes on a column you write, you think, I'm doing something. No, you're really not. And when you look at the stats, the click-throughs that lead to your column from Twitter compared to other places such as Google or Facebook, whatever, it's not even remotely the same. The numbers don't even come close. So your tweet then, acknowledging what would inarguably be one of the darkest days in Big Ten history, Jerry Sandusky, that whole ordeal, you're saying it to a much smaller audience. The damage has been done. That is not clarification. That is not responsibility. And that's why it's impossible to take anybody in the national media seriously. It's unbelievable, dude. It's unbelievable. And, and look, even, even if you are the Dan Walkins of the world, and I would say, you know, you're talking about erring on the side of caution. Like, I, like even if that's, if, if that's your stance, fine. At least just pretend, and I hate it when people talk about, like when people see something they don't like online and say that the, the writer or reporter's biased. It yeah. drives me nuts. Yeah. But in this case, at least try to be a fair reporter and actually report the story instead of just inject whatever right. sort of opinion you have every single time you put out some piece of content. That's why Twitter is not really made for journalists and reporting. Unless right. you're just sharing stories and that's it. You're supposed to be playing down the middle as a quote-unquote reporter, yet you're injecting your opinion and your slant and your kind of political leanings on something like this. And every time you hit send on one of your dumb tweets to get a couple hundred likes that couldn't fill up half a section of a football stadium. It's just madness. But it, it, even beyond that, it's just the fact that like it's it shown me how out of touch reality some of these people that work in our industry are and just how genuinely – stupid they think their readership it is that's probably been the most baffling thing to me no it, matter well, what the side of the aisle you follow superiority on, it's, that they carry yeah and it, it's a but it's a false sense of moral superiority oh it's i completely agree unwarranted yeah. oh absolutely unwarranted that's i we agree completely here's the deal with me man all right it's no secret i don't like donald trump all right my board knows this you know this. I don't talk about politics, but if you ask me my opinion, I'll tell you. I still go by the old, uh, the old traditional approach of don't talk about politics, don't talk about religion. And I'm apparently now in the minority in that respect because everybody wants to talk about politics and religion everywhere. And I just I can't do it. I do have conversations though with people every day, friends that are Donald Trump supporters, and we don't fight and yell at each other. We disagree, but that's what it used to be. You disagree about policy, stuff like that. That's normal, constructive, friendly conversation. That's just how it used to be. It's not like that no more. And I preface what I'm about to say with that because Pat Forty wrote a column, I think it was back in the summer, we're not going to get college football and it's Donald Trump's fault. Okay, that, first of all, the premise of that is absolutely ridiculous. So now then... Should he be giving credit then because football's coming back? The Big Ten's playing football. The SEC's playing football. The NFL's playing football. That's the problem. They can't recognize their own hypocrisy. Tell me the facts. Don't go far one side with Dan Walken. Don't go far the other side with Clay Travis. Just national media. Give me the facts. What are we dealing with? We'll get right back to Brian Scott Rippey in this edition of Talk of Champions after I tell you briefly about Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford, a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. Celebrate! 
Ole Miss football, it's here. We made it. We made it. Yeah, the season looks a little different, but some normalcy has returned. Now's as good a time as any then to find your next perfect car, truck, or Jeep. Think about it. Riding around in your new Jeep Gladiator, your Ole Miss car flag flying on your way to see the Rebels play, can you believe it, in style. Allen Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford has you covered, and no, you don't have to worry about COVID-19. They're open for all of your vehicle needs, taking extra precautions to ensure your car buying process is as seamless and safe as possible. Even better, they're offering customers the opportunity to purchase a vehicle completely over the phone or the internet with the delivery to your home. You pick out the vehicle you like, simply contact them by phone, email, through the website, and they'll prepare the paperwork, review it with you on the phone, and bring it and your vehicle to your home to finalize. So what are you waiting for? Why not? Why not now? Give them a call. 662-638-0044. That's 662-638-0044. Visit them online at allensamuelsoxford.com or see them in person. Socially distanced, of course, at 2201 East University Avenue. That's just past Kroger. Allen Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. Let's be friends. The darkest day in Big Ten history? That is as hyperbolic as it can possibly get. Are you kidding me? That's why no one can take you seriously. Dan Wolken was already a joke. We all knew that. Dan Wolken, that sounds like a broken record, but the only reason why Dan Wolken has the job he has is because USA Today had an opening for a college football reporter, is actually kind of been remaking his entire staff, his sports staff, and was just looking to hire people with large Twitter followings. Dan was unemployed because he'd gotten fired, but he had large Twitter following. Because back then, people believed, employers believed, Twitter following indicated you meant something. Dan Wolken all of a sudden thinks, I'm some big shit hotshot. No, you're not. The only stories you've broken... The only stories he's ever broken were the ones fed to him by Tom Morris in the Ole Miss NCAA investigative case and all the stuff that happened afterwards. I'll never forget it. I was in Atlanta with my brother. We were going to see the Braves for a series. On my phone, somebody sent me um, a text and said, hey, are you seeing this from Dan Wilkin? Of course not. I, I don't pay attention to Dan Wilkin. I don't follow him. I think we both got each other blocked. We don't like each other. He was on this podcast one time. That's the last time Dan and I have talked. Breaking news dropping shortly. Breaking news. Big national news coming out of Oxford, Mississippi. It was Deontay Anderson transferring. Now go find me any national news Dan Wilkin has broken. And there are other guys that are in the same boat as him, but I like them, and I don't want to drag them. But that's the problem. Pat Forty, we know Pat Forty's a joke. We saw the bias in the Ole Miss NCAA investigative case. Stop interjecting your own stuff into your work. What they're supposed to do as national writers, and you're not supposed to interject your opinion into this stuff. You're supposed to report the facts. The darkest day in Big Ten history. Are you kidding me? I almost said a bad word. Are you kidding me? I'm kind of worked up. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's bad. hard to get anyone to take you seriously when like that's the take but yeah i agree with everything you said on walking i just can't imagine putting my entire identity behind being a gannett columnist with the twitter follow oh dude the funniest deal 
Because Bo Bounds would have Dan Walken on during the entire Ole Miss NCAA investigative case. And it became a, a pissing match. My podcast, Neil's podcast. We would um, talk noise or crap about each other. Me and Neil about Dan. Dan about us. In whatever podcast or radio appearance when somebody would ask or the topic warranted it. So Bo Bounds asked Dan Walken about something. But we hadn't said anything about Dan or done anything to Dan in weeks, a month. It had been so long, and he just started in about, well, the reason why I, I write for one of the most reputable companies in, in, in the country and oh, why I'm God. so well-respected. And I'm, I mean, Mr. You know, Big Boss columnist and Ben Garrett and Neil McCready say this. That's Dan. It's not about the stories. It's not about anything but online clout, Twitter clout. That's it. That's it. It, was, it goes back to the original thing we talked about opening the show. This is what social media has done to our profession. It's done this. People don't know how to interact with each other. No. And they think their but, opinion matters when it doesn't. What matters is what's true and what's false. Our profession has become a joke because the national media, due to Twitter really, would rather sit around their online circle jerk rather than do their jobs responsibly. Agreed. And I think maybe the essence of that is calling USA Today, which I have plenty of friends that work at Gannett. I feel bad for them for how company they're terrible is, but calling it one of the more reputable outlets in the United oh, whatever. I mean, it, oh. it's a failing company. It was so good. It was so good. I mean, the other day, I, I don't, his, the kid's just getting started. And I'm sure he's a good kid. I've never met him before. Sports writer for the DM. We're on the Zoom call. Talking to Lane Kiffin and two players. He asked one question throughout this whole thing. And I'm not saying my questions are good because they're not. A lot of my questions are no one's raised their hands and it's really awkward silence. Somebody's got to ask something. I will. I'll just pull something out of my butt. But this kid waits and he waits. He asked one question to Jalen Cunningham about Black Lives Matter. What are you writing? What, where is the story going for you now? What's the advancement Oof. in the story? That's my question. I do think that there's going to be some type of pregame show of, of support for social justice causes by Ole Miss and Florida. It might be a joint thing. That's something Momo Sonogo acknowledged, but that was weeks ago. Weeks ago. That seems agenda-driven. And I immediately well, inboxed a couple of people in the chat, and I'm like, okay, that's number one. So number two on the checklist has to be COVID next, right? Because that's like the big J journalism checklist that you have to meet when you're ever, whenever you're interviewing anybody anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's it, but it's being, I mean, we really want to get off in the weeds in this. It's being taught. I'll never forget trying to go in and try to recruit writers the year I was a sports editor at the DM. All those people know who Stephen A. Smith or Max Kellerman is, but not a damn one of them would know. I don't know. Like Wright Thompson, mm. you know, Tom Junot or whatever the guy is, Bill Plaschke. Like, no one knows anyone that knows how to write. It's like, what do you think Stephen A. Smith was before he got paid $9 million to talk about, you know, whatever the worst opinion is terrible, like, He was a Terrible Skip Bayless wrote for the Tennessee. In the Dallas Morning News and the Chicago Tribune and all kinds of places. Chris it's, Lowe it's, is a friend. A, I love Chris Lowe. Great guy. Hardcore conservative. And he and I have had so many conversations and we've disagreed about stuff and it doesn't matter because we're friends and we can talk about stuff and not yell at each other because we know that we're not all, you know, we're not all alike. We're different. That's what makes us humans. That's what makes us unique. That's what makes this grand experiment 
what it is, I look at how he reports on things. And he just goes and looks for good stories. And I think, why is Chris Lowe not the person people pay attention to more than Dan Wolken or Pat Forty? Well, I get it because Chris Lowe isn't looking for online clout. He's looking for good stories. He's not looking for catchy headline that's going to jump out when you do a Google search, when you're searching on Twitter. The thing that's going to stir controversy. It's all about stirring controversy. It's ridiculous. That's just absolutely ridiculous. All right. The other bit of news. Oh, man, that was a rant. Holy cow. It was a solid rant, though. I'm feeling invigorated. I might punch this wall I'm staring at right now. That's just so stupid. The darkest day. COVID is a serious deal. Absolutely. But I think it should be celebrated that sports have found a way to push forward in this climate. If you're going to be one of those people, can you not be a person that reports zero positive cases for Ole Miss for the first time in in weeks or since July? That happened this week. If you're going to report all about the cases, positive cases, back when they happened, well, there were zero cases this week. Or Major League Baseball, how they're going to have a postseason. People thought that after the Marlins stuff happened, that Major League Baseball was going to shut down. And then the Cardinals, they had the same kind of issues. It was going to shut down. And Major League Baseball weathered the storm. The NBA bubble has worked. The SEC, they're about to start playing. It's happening. They're figuring out ways to make it happen. And they do care about the kids. Are they taking advantage of them? And should these kids be making more money? Of course they should. That's a totally different topic for a totally different day. That these universities are so dependent on these players to make money. That tells you everything. That they're going to be able to survive this. And it was always about survival. That's a positive thing. The darkest day. If something bad happens, God forbid because they're going to be testing regularly, contact tracing, just like Ole Miss has, just like every program in the SEC, and it's worked. They're going to be very strict, and there's going to be some really weird games because so-and-so good player had to sit out due to a COVID test or a contact tracing problem. But they're going to keep going, and these universities are going to survive. The darkest day would be if all of these schools had to fold up shop and all these kids that are trying to get to the next level, the NFL. Think of all the guys that would otherwise not have that opportunity if they couldn't play a season. Think of all the recruits right now that can't go on campuses, that are getting shortchanged. Think of all the kids that were undrafted free agents. They're not kids, they're adults. But all the dudes that were undrafted free agents like Benito Jones. Austin Eckler was an undrafted free agent. We'll never know who the next Austin Eckler would have been because there was no preseason, and there's never going to be another NFL preseason, I don't think. But there was no preseason games to be played because of covid Think of how many opportunities were lost because these organizations went with what they knew. The darkest timeline is losing everything. NHL has done it too. They have found a way to keep going. That matters. That matters. That's an important thing. And I'm one of the ones that would be your target audience person that wrote this ridiculous thing. And I'm telling you, that's absurd. It doesn't have to be one extreme or the other. There can be a middle ground. It's like I'm living in Looney Tunes land. Am I by myself in this middle ground? No, most people are. You just don't see it online, though, because yeah. online like promotes and rewards, you know, exaggeration and hysteria. But most normal people think like that. It just doesn't generate online clicks and retweets. I take care of myself. I take care of my girls. We mask. We check their temperature. We do everything they tell us to do. We're doing our part. But I'm 
thanking God every day. I'm not, well, I'm not praying and saying, God, thank you. Thank you for the Cowboys coming back and disappointing me again. I'm not doing that. But you know what I mean? Like, I'm thankful that we have sports because we've been stuck in our houses for six months. I celebrate it. The high school football player is trying to get noticed. I'm happy that he's getting that opportunity. 25% capacity, so be it. Man, I was not prepared to get that worked up. But that is just, oh, that's gross, man. That is so, so friggin' gross. Anyway, the other bit of news that came down on Wednesday, basketball season. It's happening. Starting a little later, not November 10th like it was supposed to for Ole Miss, but it's starting November 25th. We're going to talk to Kurt Davis on Thursday. I'd heard November 28th, so I wasn't that far off. But November 25th, Ole Miss basketball returns. All of college basketball returns. And I, I was pretty much told a month ago, no matter what, the NCAA tournament is happening. You you lose the NCAA tournament one time. You're never going to lose it again, right? They, they, <laughs> it's not happening again. That, that's that's the moneymaker for the NCAA. They're not, they're not going to lose that one again. They're going to do everything well, that, they can. That, in, in all seriousness, you know, it, it, the NCAA, in some ways, that tournament, they got very jobbed by the timing of this pandemic setting in, right? Because if this pandemic had set in in November and the regular season was interrupted for a while, the NCAA would have figured out how to do a bubble for their tournament, right? But the concept of a bubble didn't even exist when their tournament was supposed to take place. How could they do a bubble without paying the players? Call it fanless entry. Try to promote player safety. (laughs) Just say to a fan without fans at centralized locations. Just don't call it a bubble and then say it's in the name of player safety. I mean, you're talking about an organization that is clearly just – has tapered across their forehead. We do not give a shit about perception. Yeah, no. Yeah, but basketball, good. It's returning November 25th. Ole Miss basketball should be good. Ole Miss fall ball, baseball starts up on Friday. Um, what's your top storyline for fall ball? They know who their starting rotation is. They know pretty much their entire infield and outfield outside of third base and shortstop. Is that the entire thing to follow this uh, fall ball season? Yeah, I'm trying to just think off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, everything else, this team pretty much returns yeah. intact, right? Yep, they're good. What kind of impact? I'll say, what, what, like Calvin Harris, if he's not able to play the season, what is the, what is the loss trickle-down effect? Like, yep. what are they losing there? Because he was a candidate, I think, for center field, which would have made Justin Bench competition directly for Peyton Chatagnier at shortstop. I think the leading candidate is shortstop for Peyton Chatagnier, Justin Bench. Peyton Chatagnier has to show that the arm strength can play there. T.J. McCants will factor in at shortstop, too. But losing Calvin Harris, who was going to be the backup catcher, but he ran a 6-6-60. Dude was nuts. He's a straight, crazy athlete. Was a two-guard in basketball. Led his football team in high school as a quarterback to the state championship. Great baseball player. He he was going to do some stuff. He arrived at Ole Miss with um, this injury that led to Tommy John surgery. But because he's a position player, not a pitcher, because they lost Tyler Myers before the year last year, and that's a full-year recovery no chance coming back. I, I think he has a chance to play at some point, but it'd be towards the very end of the season. Do you really want to do that with him? I don't know. Just wait and see. I, I think now that kind of clarifies some things as far as shortstop. Peyton Chatney, if you can do it, you'll be the shortstop. That, I think that's kind of where they're leaning. If you can do it, you'll be the shortstop because I think they got middle infielders for days. And Justin Bench, they might need you as the center fielder because he was really good at center field. He was good. Real good. Third Agreed. base, Jacob Gonzalez could be in there. A lot of newcomers will, will factor in at third base. But if Tim Elko needed to, that's his natural position. He could slide back to third base. I think they value him more at first base or in right field. So we'll see. I think that's really the story to follow. That's it. I'll give you one more. 
I'll give you one more. And it's not even really like a like an on the field thing. You know what you talked about? Like the whole storyline last year was like kind of the uh, the brazen confidence of this group. Like they didn't like you know the 2019 felt the weight of all the postseason stuff, Oxford kids, all that stuff we've outlined. If you listen to this podcast, to me, like kind of like the centerpiece of all that of that attitude and that mantra was Anthony Servideo and the kind of who moves yep. in to that centerpiece leader. Oh, I don't role think it's gonna be hard to figure that out. Either, I mean, my first candidate was shot in the Yeah, yeah, that's it. Because, see, in baseball, the timeline to be a leader is expedited. It doesn't matter if you're a sophomore. If you did the damn thing as a freshman, as a sophomore, I mean, look, Doug Nikhazy, Doug Nikhazy, last year. Would you consider him one of the leaders last year? Of course you would, DUI notwithstanding. But you would consider him a leader. And they looked at him that way. Gunnar Hoagland, same thing. Look at him as a leader. They were sophomores. But that's the way it works. Baseball, it's an expedited thing because – most kids, if they're good enough, you're going to lose them by the time they're juniors. I think Chattanooga's that guy, but the confidence, yeah, that, that could play into it, definitely. That's going to be something to follow. Mike Clement would know better than us. He's coming up here shortly on the Modern Women phone line. First, Rip, thanks, man. I'll talk to you again. See you. If you haven't already, subscribed, rate, review, Talk of Champions in iTunes. When you do, leave a five-star review. Also available on SoundCloud and Spotify. Just simply search Talk of Champions. We both write for the Ole Miss Spirit Home, spirit.com, and food of 247 Sports. Going now to the Modern Women phone line to talk to Mike Clement, Ole Miss hitting coach. But first, let's hear from BNA Bank and Modern Woodman. Reason number 12 to bank at BNA. We are the bank for Northeast Mississippi. We have one home, Northeast Mississippi. Seeing this local Northeast Mississippi economy thrive and helping the people of our area with their borrowing needs is our only focus. From buying a home to starting your own business, we are the team of local lenders standing ready to make your dreams a reality. BNA Bank. We are the bank of Northeast Mississippi. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Are you tired of working 9 to 5 for 40 hours every week just to make money for someone else? Well, our sponsor of the Talk of Champions phone line is Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, and he's looking to hire new financial representatives here in Mississippi. No background experience is necessary, but you do have to be a resident of Mississippi. And what he's looking for is someone who is highly self-motivated and who wants to make a difference in the lives of others. A full-time position comes with benefits, such as health insurance, a matching 401k, and a pension plan. For more information, feel free to reach out to Thomas personally. You can find him on Facebook, or his number is 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. That's Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. The Modern Woodman Phone Line. Cool. We'll talk. No big whoop. No big whoop. Where the best Ole Miss guests from far and wide drop in to talk the very latest in Rebel Sports. Modern Woodman. Let's make a difference together. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit. Ben on Twitter. Going now to the Modern Woodman Phone Line to speak to good friend of the program, Ole Miss hitting coach. It's Mike Clement. Ole Miss starts fall ball. On Friday, but individual skill instruction, well, that's already underway. Mike, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm good, Ben, and I appreciate you having me. Uh, it's uh, exciting because students are on campus and baseball players are swinging the bats and throwing the ball, so um, any sense of normalcy we can get, we'll take. What so far has been your biggest impression of the newcomers, the guys that weren't here and part of the team last year? It's a little tougher because, like you said, uh, it's skill instruction right now, so it's not full go. Uh, be easier to answer in a couple weeks, but um, 
man, the, the fun thing from, from an offensive perspective is, you know, you got, you got a bunch of guys who didn't have a ton of at bats, but had a ton of success back. And, uh, you still have Peyton Chatney out there running around screaming and yelling and, you know, trying to bounce off the walls, which brings some energy to the group. And then, you know, you infuse some young guys that, uh, that, uh, are, are hungry and I think really talented, um, you know, it's exciting. It's exciting. We're, we're, we're definitely excited for the, for the weekend to get here when we, we get it started and see some inter-squad games and all that. I hate to start on some um, tough news, but Calvin Harris, he's out with Tommy John surgery. That's a big loss. I mean, obviously Ole Miss has a good catcher, but he could have played a number of different positions. And so what's the general outlook for him and the rehab process and kind of how y'all approach that? Yeah, he, he – and you've, you've talked to Calvin and you nailed it. Um, I know he's been on, you know, back in the summer or something like that, or maybe late spring with you and you got a pretty good feel for him. And, uh, he's a great kid. I mean, this is a kid who super intelligent, like a 30 ACT, unbelievably hard worker. Um, and, and really good. And like you said, he is not the traditional catcher. Um, this guy's a really, really good athlete was quarterback of his high school football team that won the state championship. And, you know, he ran around, he runs like a, a six, six, five, sixty. So that's, that's really moving. Um, and so he was going to have the flexibility to catch some and, and, you know, play, play other positions, a left-handed bat. So uh, I'd be lying if I, if I didn't say it, it didn't, didn't hurt. Um, it's just one of those things. I think he's, you know, in my, this is the start of my seventh year. He, he's the first position player that's had that issue. And um, it's just, you know, he came in and, uh, with it and it's just one of those things when a guy when a guy pitches in high school and he's a super athlete sometimes that happens so um yeah it stinks for him uh for sure uh but he's gonna bounce back and, and with position players you know the the as i understand it um the, the rehab on that is is not quite what it is for for pitchers although he plays a, a position you know behind the plate that obviously you got to use your arm and that was one of the huge strengths of of, of him but i think he'll bounce back uh, a little bit uh, quicker than, than, than he would have uh, had he been a pitcher. Um, but, yeah, it's, 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 it stinks as much for him as it does for, for, for us collectively. And, obviously, like you said, uh, fortunately for us, we've got a really good guy back there deep behind the plate. Outside of that bummer, knowing how the season ended, not getting to pursue Omaha with the team, that definitely had the look. The energy, does it feel a little different? Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it feels it feels different. I appreciate, especially from the returners. Um, I think they they walk in with it, it's a it's a weird if, I, if I'm reading them correctly, body language and the way they talk. It's kind of a weird dynamic of a little bit of uh, anger, probably still that they weren't able to finish finish what they what they had started in 2020. Um, but also some determination and confidence. And you know, when you start out 16 and one and um, have a lot of success. You should have some confidence. They should, um, especially with the schedule that we played, you know, in the non-conference in 2020. And so, um, yeah, I think there's there's some there's some determination and and some confidence to them, uh, which they should have. They should they should be excited about it. When you do open up fall ball, is it a strict schedule that y'all followed for years, or do you kind of mix it up, change things up? I know the Omaha Challenge yeah. is at the end of this. I mean, what's it like for people who don't know? Yeah, really good question. Um, I think we – well, I don't think. We we will switch it up a little bit. The, the, the one unique thing is the SEC 
um, came out with a rule. You know, the last couple years, as you know, we've been able to play two games of outside competition, playing playing other schools. Um, the SEC came out um, a month ago or so and said that's not going to happen, which is completely understandable. Um, so there, there'll be no outside competition this fall. And I think the one change that we will make only because of uh, the shortened season um, last spring is that we'll we'll try to throw uh, throw guys more innings, get more at bats, more inner squads um, than in a typical fall. But I think uh, other than that, um, I think it'll be uh, a little bit business as usual, and a little bit you're restricted by you know this 45 day window um, that you can have you know, the 20 hour week of fall ball in and all of that. But yeah, we're going to try to inter squad a little more just to get the at-bats games pitched and all of that, because we had, you know, a dozen guys go out and play on, on varying levels of summer ball, but um, collectively, obviously they missed a lot of at-bats. I think the guys who had the most at-bats for us was in the 70 range when a typical full season, you know, plus postseason is probably closer to 225 or 250 at-bats. Uh, in a season. So we're going to try to make some of that up. And I think the lost game competition is, is the biggest loss. And we'll try to make some of that up with, with some inner squad stuff. As far as dealing with COVID testing, contact tracing, following the protocols of the university and Shannon Singletary, how has that gone for your program in particular? Yeah, well, the leadership that we've had and, and obviously, you know, Keith, but, but Shannon, like you said, spearheading this thing, uh, has been really, really good. We're, we're fortunate on, on, on that level. Um, that man, they've, they've been, they've been on this thing. They've been behind it. Um, we've had a few guys sick, but, um, and, and, you know, you just have to, you just have to adjust, um, as that comes up and you just need to be a little more flexible. As you know, with our program, it's super structured. Everything that we do is structured. Um, and so that, you know, sometimes can be a little bit annoying as a, since you're talking to the guy who makes out the practice schedule and weekly hitter schedule, um, that sometimes you got to adjust on the fly and some, you know, like with every sport and you've seen it across the country, sometimes the hardest thing um, to wrap your mind around is the contact tracing. Cause you know, as I sit here and fill out a schedule, you know, I, I know this guy's not sick and I know he doesn't have it, but he was close contact to someone who did, whether it be a girlfriend or a buddy that doesn't play baseball or whatever it is. Um, and so you're asking obviously these 18 to 22 year olds um, to do something they've probably never done in their life um, from a responsibility standpoint, you know, you and me, it's probably not as hard as husbands and fathers and all that. We probably like to be home and, uh, and, you know, we're around, those couple people in our lives. But you think back when you're a college student, that's asking a lot. And our guys have done a really good job of um, being responsible. I feel like to this point and, uh, and being at least aware and, and sometimes you can't avoid it, but at least being aware of, uh, uh, of what's going on. And obviously the difference is everybody's got one of those neck gaiters on at practice. And when we're in a group, they got them pulled up. Um, but as far as, as, as the sickness and the contact contract, tracing easy for me to say um yeah it's it's been it's been a little bit annoying but i think everybody's going through the same thing obviously y'all aren't playing games but major league baseball having success with playing at sport amid covid and dealing with testing and everything has that been something that college baseball has looked to because that's something you and i talked about how important it was going to be so college baseball has it learned from major league baseball and that's helped with the path forward 
I think so. And, and I think you bring up a really good point. Um, I think not only college baseball, but I think probably college football has looked more at um, what Major League Baseball has done because obviously the NBA, they're, they're in a bubble in Orlando. Like, that's not realistic for, you know, college athletics. But I think I'm going to guess, you know, the commissioners of the leagues were really taking a hard look at Major League Baseball because really the travel schedule for Major League Baseball, it's regionalized by nature. Our league is regionalized. And then, and then how they travel is very similar to how our football team travels or how our baseball team travels in, uh, in games, which is a lot of times a charter flight um, and all those things. So I think, I think it's been vitally important. And to be honest with you, it made me really nervous because we got a week into Major League Baseball and the Marlins um, deal had blown up a little bit. And uh, it, uh, it, was, it, was a little bit, uh, it was a little bit nerve-wracking. Um, but, but I feel like they've done a really, really good job. You know, it's been affected. Um, they were able to keep their poise and, um, amidst social media that sometimes loses their mind. Um, and uh, yeah, I feel like it's I feel like it's gone really well, and I feel like that's spoken loudly to to intercollegiate athletics for sure. Well, the roster itself is exactly pretty much where you expected it to be. You expected to lose Servideo. You expected to lose Tyler Keenan. So going into yeah. this fall camp, yeah, you've got everybody back everywhere else, but the left side of your infield, how you'll fill those positions, how will fall ball play into that? You know, the left side's really important. And so I think you could probably make out a really good lineup right now as you sit there knowing our team um, at the other you know, seven spots in the lineup. Um, but those spots, number one in our lineup at the leadoff spot and the three-hole spot are really important. And on the left side of the infield, that's really important. And so um, as far as fall ball plays into that, we're going to give a lot of people opportunity on the left side. And we're just going to try to rotate it through um, at least initially in fall ball until someone has proven, uh, hey, they need to get a few more innings than this guy over there. And so some of the – some of the guys, just to be candid with you, that are that are going to be rotating through the left side, uh, Peyton Chatney obviously um, plays into that. Uh, Justin Bench has been banged up a, a little bit, but he he plays into that. Obviously, he's pretty valuable because he can play all over the field. Um, but then some of the new names that everyone will probably wonder about and be excited about: um, Jacob Gonzalez is a freshman, left-handed hitting, six foot three. Um, guy who could play on the left side for sure we expect to pj mccants um is another middle infielder um that, that can play there uh reagan burford uh is a guy from st george's up in memphis um that that, that that we think could play on the left side garrett wood is a junior college transfer from johnson county community college in, in kansas city that can really really defend um that has a shot to play on the left side so uh i I think I've hit everybody. I may have missed a guy, but like, so there's going to be an open competition. It's going to be fun to make out lineups because we're going to let them play through it. And we feel like there are some really, really good options over there, but we're going to allow somebody to take those jobs. Peyton Chatney put himself in position to be the starter at second base because of fall ball. So for a freshman that's coming in, he's trying to make an impact. Is it more important for those guys than it is necessarily a Tim Elko or whoever that has got a track record himself of producing when the lights come on, so to speak. Yeah, I think the politically correct answer would say no, uh, but the real answer is yes. Uh, I, and if 
I would just be the PC guy that, that if I said, no, I, you know, it's wide open and everybody, the bottom line is Tim had a great spring last year, had a good fall a year ago, uh, had a great spring, was off to a great start and then went off and had a great summer. Um, we know what he is and he's got, you know, uh, quote, some skins on the wall. Right. So, um, we feel like we know what he is. And the reason the answer is yes is because, um, you know, we don't know as much about the young guys, even though we recruited them, even though we know they're, you know, some of the top players in the country, as you know, for covering us for so long, um, some guys that are that, it takes a couple of years for them to, you know, get their feet underneath them. And some guys can perform right away. And so that's what we're trying to figure out, not to put more pressure on you guys, but it's just the fact, it's the honest answer to your question. Um, but yeah, it means a little more for them to go out and play well, just like Peyton last year. And he wasn't the, the sought after recruit. He wasn't the high, you know, he wasn't a top 100 guy, but he's also a guy that wasn't scared to play in front of 10,000 people and almost uh, flourished under that and was super excited about it. And you could tell from the fall. And so he goes off and has a great fall and it's game on. Like we knew, uh, you know, three weeks into fall ball, they're like, okay, we're going to have to find a place for this guy. We'll get right back to Ole Miss hitting coach Mike Clement in this edition of Talk of Champions after we hear briefly, real quick, about Chinese Pharmacy, a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. Believe it, the return of Ole Miss football has arrived. The Rebels are playing. Really, it's happening. But as exciting a time as it is, make sure you're staying safe. And that includes trusting that your pharmacy has you taken care of. Well, there's only one pharmacy in Oxford, Mississippi that can do just that. Chinese Pharmacy, a locally owned pharmacy that's been in Oxford for over 40 years, as red and blue as the Rebels themselves. Chinese Pharmacy offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Chinese also accepts all third-party insurance. Chinese Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there, hands down, it's not close. So give Chinese a call, 662-234-7221 or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can visit them online at chaneyspharmacy.com. Stay safe, enjoy some football, and make sure your pharmacy is one you can trust. Chaney's Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. That's a really interesting point. I'm not going to say the name because I don't want to drag the kid in any way, but there was a highly ranked kid that signed that is no longer with the program that we in the media, maybe y'all on paper, were penciling him in as a potential candidate to start here. And then Peyton Chatagnier, he comes in, he sets the world on fire. That's what fall ball is for, I would guess. That's right. And in our sport, and you know this, and I don't know how many people, you know, I'll try to paint the picture a little bit. Our sport, so much weight is placed um, on the tools, um, the five tools that make a good baseball player, meaning hit for power, hit for average, run, defend, and arm strength. And so for us in recruiting, as early as recruiting goes for baseball, we look at those tools. Those tools are really important. I'm not downplaying the importance of those tools. They're very important. But, and Peyton Chatagnier would not be off the charts in any of those tools. I'm just being honest. If you were sitting in my office right now as I talk to you, I would have no problem saying that to him. And I'm going to mean this as a compliment to Peyton. Um, he wouldn't be off the charts, whereas we've had other guys, um, some that you're explaining, that have been off the charts in all of those tools. But those tools 
sometimes don't translate as well to the game. Um, and so I think about, and then conversely, the other side of it is sometimes guys are just really good baseball players. They can take it at bat. They cannot swing at breaking balls. Uh, you know, they just have skill to play in a big situation. And guys that come to mind in that, Will Colson, uh, Peyton Shack, those guys that maybe didn't have off-the-charts tools that wasn't a ton of juice, but, man, they could really play the game. As you know, at our level, uh, we're here to win. <laughs> you know, like we can be the greatest guys, the greatest developers or players or whatever, but the bottom line is we need to win. And so we're going to play the guys that help us win on the night that we're playing. And obviously Chatney is that guy. As the hitting coach, you had one of the best offenses in the country last year, one of the best home run hitting offenses in the country. As you head into fall ball, what's the point of emphasis for you I know that y'all have a certain mentality with the offense, but is there anything yep. that or any signs maybe that you want to see from this offense over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, uh, here's the thing we're, we're, that I would like to work on a little bit. We were the, you know, you and I talked about this. I'm sure you wrote about it. We were more of the three true outcome team, meaning which uh, I love. Walk, yes, and I do too. Which means a walk, a strikeout, or a home run. But and I, I'm all in on all of the like I. I want to be able to walk. Obviously, I think we're going to be able to hit the ball out of the yard. Uh, in college baseball, even at the highest level, which we play at the highest level of amateur baseball in the world, um, there is still real value to putting the ball in play. I don't want to sacrifice, hopefully I can say this correctly, for all the analytics nerds um, out there, which I'm one of, so like, don't, don't crush me on that. Um, I, we, I don't want to sacrifice putting the ball in play for hitting the ball out of the park. Um, but I do want to be able to move the ball because the bottom line is even in the SEC West, if you hit a ball to the right of the shortstop, that he has to backhand, a lot of these guys are still going to be accountants when they leave here. They're not going to play in the big leagues. And so you have a chance to be safe. There's value still, more value playing at our level in putting the ball in play than there is if you hit that ball to Elvis Andrews. You are out. Javi Baez you are out. Um, and so now we've been spoiled here with shortstops, but believe me, if you hit it to their backhand, man, it's bang, bang, like it's 50%. And so I say all of that and, and maybe exaggerate a little bit. I say all of that to say, I believe in the three true outcomes. I don't want to sacrifice choking up and spreading out in the old school, you know, take a really controlled swing to hit a six hop ground ball at the shortstop for Kale Baker to, hey, you may swing and miss this at bat, but at some point he's hitting a one-two home run against Bobby Miller from Louisville that wins you the game. I don't want to sacrifice that, so don't do me wrong. But I also want to be able to be more competitive with two strikes. And that, that is, you aren't going to see a huge two-strike physical adjustment out of our team. That's not who we are. That's not who I want to be. Um, but I do feel like we can be a little more, um, we can grind out at bats a little bit better and keep the same kind of power um, and score the same kind of runs, if that makes sense to you. It does, because it sounds a lot like how Five has kind of adjusted his outlook to offense in general anyway. He's a traditionalist, but he understands the change in the game, the adaptability of the game. And last year, everyone wants to point to, oh, we bunt so much, we bunt so much, we bunt so much. Well, last year, Ole Miss didn't bunt very much. And Mike still believed in advancing runners, be it through putting the ball in play, contact, moving them over. But he also understood the construction of his roster and what he had. 
and he had a very powerful lineup. And he's not going to take the bat out of the hands of Tim Elko when he can hit a 435-foot bomb to the middle of dead center. That's right. And I will say this to all your listeners and the people that are <clears throat> on your message board, get mad at me because what I tell our players is <laughs> I hate punting too. And so here, here is why you should get mad at me. Uh, if we prove to Coach B that we can hit the ball out of the yard and that we can be physical and all of those things, we'll take the decision out of his hands. And I, and I really mean this. Like, and this is why I, I told our players this on meeting number one. Are we going to have to figure out how to bunt? Yeah. But we're going to practice bunting a lot less than we're going to practice hitting the ball out of the yard. And so what I mean by blaming on me is if we're good enough offensively, it's going to hit him in the face. And he's going to be like, well, you know what? We may hit a three-run jack right here. Uh, like you said, with Elko. And you know what? i got to let him swing because we may blow up this entire game um, if we let him swing as opposed, as opposed to sacrifice bunting. And so, Which is what happened um, last year. That's what, that's what happened exactly. with five. Hitting the ball hard and getting it in the air gives you a far greater chance of scoring runs than just choking up, putting the ball in play, no exit velocity once you strike the ball. That is where the change has there. been. And Mike saw an offense that y'all are hitting the ball hard and you're hitting it in the air, and we're scoring a lot of runs. That's right. That's right. Absolutely fact. Like, if you came to one of our practices, you meaning the people who are listening, and you looked, uh, you looked up at the scoreboard, a couple times a week on the scoreboard is going to be the track man exit velocity. So we're going to have competitions on exit velocity. Um, you know, oh, that warms really, really my important. heart, Clem. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the game. Uh, you're exactly right. It's, it's, how, it's how you win. Like, those – the, the best teams in our league or any league at a high level, um, there's a direct correlation to how hard you hit the ball and how good your offense is. There's no doubt about that. Okay, we've talked a lot about the offense. We can't get out of here without talking a little bit about the pitching staff because that's really the strength. Momentum is the next day starting pitcher, and Ole Miss has three. How do they get better over fall ball? How do you handle those kind of guys who've been through it before, especially the top two? Derek, there are th- some things to be picked up, I'm sure. But how do you handle a fall ball with that rotation that has been through it, they know what they are, is it just refining what they're good at? Well, I have been uh, lobbying in our coaches' meetings for Casey and Hoagland to sit out the fall, get our, <laughs> get, get our hitters a little bit of confidence, um, and, uh, and just let it rip that way. Uh, I'm joking. Uh, yeah, I think with those guys, it's uh, – man, they walk around a little different than they ever have. Like, I <laughs> – I, uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun, and I mean it. It's not going to be fun for the hitters in the fall, but um, the good thing is when the bullets start flying there on our side. Um, I think for them, uh, the neat thing to watch is because they are who they are, and they're, like you said, they're refined pretty well as starters, and they've been around the block. They've been in SEC games. The whole thing, um, I think the neat thing to watch them from a distance, just because I'm with the hitters, is, now they are into the analytics, the Rap Soto numbers. Hey, where can I position my fingers on the baseball to get a little more ride on this ball? And that that's super involved, and I'm sure it makes people stop listening, but the intricacies of um, throwing a baseball and being an efficient thrower of the baseball, like it's amazing because of where those guys are at in their development, how, um, how detailed they are. Um, from, from that standpoint. And the thing with Doug is like, he is such a max competitor. Um, like it's, he is like a center fielder up there pitching, you know, like just 
he's the guy that loves to strap it on and compete. And now all of a sudden you start arming him with um, all of this data. Um, yes, it's scary. It's scary. And then probably uh, probably not fair to Gunner is that we don't give him enough credit. Here's the guy who threw 20-some innings and struck out 37 guys and lost like three. And really actually pitched against, because of that East Carolina tournament, tougher competition than, than what Doug did because he drew East Carolina in game two. Uh, and obviously beat Louisville and had silly numbers. So I think uh, Gunner's. we're going to look a year from right now and see Gunner's development from a meek freshman with a five-earned run average to the COVID year um, of being special. And I think uh, it'll it, the sky's the limit for him this year. You touched on exactly what I wanted to bring up. It's so awesome to see with Gunner. He came to Ole Miss and took a chance after being a first-round pick because his number was high. He decided, I want to go to college. But then to have that freshman year, some people are going to start to doubt you. Then to go out and do what he did as a sophomore, betting on himself, and now you look at where he's ranked as far as next year's draft, it's a really awesome story. And I think a story that isn't told enough. I mean, Gunnar Hoagland bet on himself, and I'll be damned if it hadn't paid off so far. Yeah, the kid deserves a ton of credit. Because even me, like I – you know, again, just trying to be completely honest. Um, as I sit there, having not much to do with pitchers, but but like during our season and him being the Sunday starter as a freshman and watching him throw, there were even thoughts in my mind of like, oh my gosh, I thought this guy would be better. And I'm just being completely honest. Uh, and to watch, like you said, a guy bet on himself and he's the guy with the target on his back because everybody in the ballpark was a and the opponent know that he was a first rounder and they're going to look at his stats before they look at anybody's and to see the progression that he's made betting on himself. Uh, man, he deserves to go really high in June because he's worked his tail off for it. He's probably the guy that's hidden a little bit because of how good Doug has been from the moment he stepped on campus. Because every single player that had eligibility got an extra year, it's been a juggling act for you. Obviously, it's a great thing for the players, but for the coaches, it makes it hard as far as roster construction. What have those challenges been, and how do you feel like the program has managed them so far? I think it's been good. Um, It's weird. uh, From an offensive standpoint, we have uh, 18 position players, hitters, right now, which is a normal number. Uh, that's not counting Ely or Plumlee, so it'll, it'll be 20 when you when you get those guys in here. But that's a pretty normal number. Uh, I think the pitching staff, because all four of the seniors who are back were all pitchers, Tyler Myers, uh, I'm going to forget somebody, Tyler Myers, uh, Taylor Broadway, uh, Austin Miller, and someone uh, who I'm forgetting, and I'm sorry if their parents are listening. Um, but all four of the, of the pitchers, we're seniors, and so there, I think we have 24 pitchers, which is a big number, uh, or a bigger number. Um, and so uh, maybe a little more of a challenge that way, and it's why we're lucky because we'll be able to play more inner squads. But for last coach, just organizing bullpens and all of that is a little more of a challenge. It's kind of been business as usual um, for the position players. Where, where we get into log jams, not the right word, where it becomes a little different for us is if some of those guys who are – second COVID freshman this year, the Chatney Dunhurst group. Um, if they don't do the natural progression and sign when they're draft eligible, we'll have a little more of a long game um, from that standpoint because we'll have a ton of juniors, you know, when the, the current freshmen are juniors and all of that. But um, it's been it's been pretty business as usual as far as, as 
far as that goes. And having 24 pitchers will allow us to, you know, play more inner squads. He's Mike Clement, Ole Miss hitting coach. On this podcast so much, I might as well call him guest co-host. But I appreciate your time, <laughs> brother. It's always fun. Thanks for doing it. We'll do it again. You got it, man. I love coming on. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.